Amen. Thank you, Anya. Mark chapter 9 this morning. Mark chapter 9, if you've got your Bibles, if you join me in turning there. Uh, we're going to continue our series here in the, the book of Mark. And uh, this uh, series has been a, a blessing to me. I hope that it has been to you as well. But uh, one of the great things about going through a gospel account is uh, just seeing the life of Christ over and over again. And uh, there is just something about you know, you read these accounts in the Bible about other people and, and uh, characters and different folks. And, uh, you know, some of them are great examples in different ways, uh, but they're all sinners. <laughs> and then you get to the life of Jesus, and there's our sin, sinless, perfect Savior, and he is interacting among mankind, and he's dealing with sinners, and um, he he is the perfect example. He, he is the perfect one. And um, it, it is just a blessing to read that uh, over and over again and to study that week after week, and I hope it's been an encouragement to you as well. Uh, but we're in Mark chapter, uh, chapter 9. We'll begin reading in verse 1. If you'd follow along with me as I read this aloud, uh, Mark 9, verse 1. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias and with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he was wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly when they had looked round about, they saw no man any more, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. Verse 10, now they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. They asked him, saying, Why say the scribes that Elias must come first? He answered and told them, Elias verily come first, and restoreth all things, and how it is written of the Son of Man, that he must suffer many things, and be said it not. But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. The Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the power of the Bible. Father, that your word is true, that it is without error, that we can trust everything that is in it. So, Father, we, we just give you thanks. We give you thanks that you have breathed out your word for us to know you better, to know you more. Father, may we accept it as truth. May we seek to live our lives according to what it says. And, and Father, we, we ask that as we learn more and more about who you are, may we too reflect the very glory of God as you work through us. May we, may we be conduits of your grace for the world around us that you would receive greater and greater glory. Father, we, we know that this life is not about us. It is about you. May we live lives that are pleasing to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we consider uh, this passage account, you, you may have considered uh, certain things in life where uh, you, you, you hear about something, 
and it sounds true, and it sounds good, but you're just not quite sure whether or not to believe it. I don't know if you've experienced that. I think probably all of us have it at some point. You, you, you hear about it. It sounds like it's coming. You say, boy, that would be really wonderful. And then you just wonder, well, is it really going to happen? <laughs> There's a, a certain aspect where uh, I think uh, even hearing good things can be a, a bit of a challenge uh, to whether or not we, we believe it. Uh, get, give you an example. Uh, you know, if, if you think about... Um, you know, with everything we, we've gone through with all the pandemic stuff, right? It, and, and you hear a vaccine comes out, you're like, boy, 95% effective. You're like, boy, that would be great. But uh, let's just wait a little bit and see. I, I don't know if you experienced that. And then test results come in and, and oh, okay, it's working, it's working, it's working. All right, praise the Lord, right? I mean, that, that's kind of kind of what, what the sensation has been for me throughout, you know, this whole process, but something like that. Now, you... Uh, one of the things that helps uh, with, with knowing maybe something that's even yet to come is, is kind of a preview, a sneak, pre, a sneak peek or something like that. You know, uh, this, this is something that uh, pre-pandemic actually used to take place uh, with movies. They would have a, uh, a sneak peek or a preview screening of different movies. And, uh, you know, everybody's hearing about, oh, there's a new movie coming out and people are getting excited about whatever it is. And... Uh, one of the things that the movie production studios would do is they'd offer a sneak peek in advance. Why? Because everybody's hearing about this movie that, wow, this will be great, but nobody's really seen it yet, so you don't really know. You, you know, there's been a lot of hype about different movies over the years that they come out and they just bomb. <laughs> you know, people show up and it's terrible. Well, sometimes what they do is they offer a sneak peek and then they, they'll have a screening for just a select few people and maybe some movie critics or newspaper reporters. And they'll, they'll have them actually see it in advance, and then they'll write things and hopefully good things about it, at least what, that's what the studio wants. And, and then other people will, will say, boy, that would be a great movie to see, right? So you get excited about it, and then once the critics are saying, oh, this is great, you know, maybe you're more likely to believe it. That, that's kind of what a sneak, pre, uh, sneak peek is all about, a preview is all about. Well, what we're looking at in this passage is kind of a, a preview here. Jesus is giving... Uh, three of his disciples a preview about what's yet to come. And uh, we call this uh, his transfiguration. Right? And, and so this, this happens, they go up on the mountain, and, and then that's, that's where it occurs. Now, let's consider a little bit of, of what's going on in the context of how we're, we're reaching this point. We're uh, just past the midpoint in the book of Mark now. We've, we've reached that point. Uh, if you think back to Mark 8, um, Mark 8, verse 27, Jesus asked his disciples, uh, who do people say that I am? In verse 29, he then asked them, who do you say that I am? And of course, then Peter gives his great confession, right? You are the Christ. And, uh, and that's a wonderful moment, uh, I, I think, for all of us, even today, with just that clear announcement of who Jesus is. And uh, certainly a high point, I would say, in Peter's life and ministry, when, when he, just, he just nails it. You know, that time he opens his mouth and speaks truth clearly, right? In opposition to all the times he opens his mouth and inserts his foot, right? Well, that won't last very long. Peter will, will have that opportunity because it's not long after that that Jesus starts teaching that the Messiah must suffer. And then Peter opens his mouth and inserts his foot. and He starts to rebuke Jesus as though Jesus doesn't know what's going on, right? And, and so Jesus corrects him. Well, after that... Jesus then teaches that all those who follow after the Messiah also will suffer. 
And uh, that's verse 34 right there in Mark 8. And so everybody who follows after Jesus, his true followers are going to suffer as well. Now, if we think back to this time period, politically, everybody wanted the Messiah to, to set up a political kingdom. That's what the Jews were looking for. They, they wanted the Messiah to come to overthrow Rome so they wouldn't be under the shackles of Rome anymore. A kingdom would set up. They would have the perfect rule and the perfect reign of the Messiah over them. And, uh, you know, serving a perfect boss is a lot better than serving a, an imperfect boss, right? <laughs> Uh, we, we all have experience with serving imperfect bosses. Some of us are those or have been those. And uh, that's the reality of living in the world today. But having a perfect boss, that's, that's pretty good. And so having a perfect savior, a perfect king, a perfect messiah on the throne, well, that would be pretty good as well. So what's going on? The people are looking th- for the messiah. They have been waiting for him and then... Jesus comes and says, well, look, I, I'm going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. I am going to die. He said, well, no, 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 wait. That's not what the Messiah was supposed to be. That's not what the Messiah was in our mind. We, we didn't want a Messiah to come and die. We wanted a Messiah to reign. We wanted a Messiah to rule. We wanted a Messiah to overthrow our enemies. We wanted a, a Messiah to put us you know, under his power to, to allow us to, to serve him and to serve over other people on all the earth. That's what we wanted, Jesus. Haven't you got this wrong a little bit? Are you sure that's really what you want to do? And Jesus responds to Peter, well, not only will I suffer, but you're going to suffer too if you're one of my true followers. Well, that could be a little bit discouraging, right? That, that could certainly be a little bit discouraging if you are sitting there waiting and, and expecting the Messiah to come and, and things to be set right on the earth. And all of a sudden you, you realize, oh, that's not what's happening right now. In fact, it's going to be kind of bad, and it's going to be bad for us, too. This, this just doesn't seem exactly right. That, that might cause even a, a bit of a challenge of your faith, right? Now, now, Jesus wasn't saying that he would never reign. He's not saying that he would never rule. He's just saying it's not right now. Right? You have to wait longer. And so, so with that, the response that, that Jesus gives, and the response that, that God himself offers up here, is a sneak peek of sorts. Let me show you a little bit what this kingdom will look like. See, the promise the Messiah is giving is that there is a kingdom that is coming, and there will be an earthly reign of the Messiah, but it is yet future. You have to wait a little longer. So as we get into this passage, uh, the title of this message is Messiah Unveiled. Verse 9 says, He said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. What's he saying? Just wait. It's coming. The kingdom of God is coming. It will happen. And so he, he is describing that for them. If you look back to 838, the same preview was, was given there, this recognition of the coming kingdom. Verse 38 says, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when? When he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What's he saying? It's coming. It's coming. And so he, he points out to them, hang on. He will, the Messiah will set up his kingdom. I will set up my kingdom. 
but it's not right now. It's yet in the future. Now, this promise in verse 1 is, just wait, some of you standing here will get a sneak peek, and we're going to see that happen in the following verses. It's going to actually be described for us. In fact, the language here in verse 1, right, it says that some of those, there shall be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. That, that language there, they shall not taste of death, we, you know, we, we just say not. Well, in the original language, that's a double negative. That means absolutely not, meaning it isn't going to happen. It, it is, it, you can be absolutely assured of this. You will not die until you get this sneak preview this, of, of what is yet to come. Um, you can be sure of it, is what they're saying, and it doesn't take long to, to see that happen. Now, there are a lot of things that we believe by faith today. You know, uh, if, if uh, Jesus were to come in and, and visit Grace Baptist Church here in Hampton, Virginia this morning, and he were to be sitting here among us, right, it, we might not know it was him. Right? I mean, certainly, we see all these drawings of Jesus, but nobody knows exactly what Jesus looked like. I mean, he could come in wearing his mask and, and be sitting out here in one of these pews, and, and when he does that, he, he, could, he could do that, uh, and, and as he did, we, we wouldn't know who he is. We wouldn't necessarily know that was Jesus. I mean, unless he identified himself and said, hey, this is who I am. Why? Because he would look like a man. And, and in Jesus' day, he looked like a man. That's what he looked like. And so, so when, when Jesus came, uh, how do we know who Jesus is? Well, we believe it by faith, not by sight. Um, I've never seen Jesus visually. You've never seen Jesus visually. But we have faith. I, I believe that when I die, I will go to heaven. So what does heaven look like? Well, I have descriptions from the Bible, but I have never seen it. I've never seen it with my own eyes. I, I have never actually visually seen what heaven is like. But I believe it. Well, how? By faith. Is faith ever hard? Is it ever hard just to simply believe in the things that you have never seen? I would say yes. And I'd say that's, that can be difficult. That can be challenging. And Jesus understood that. He understood that. So here before the disciples, he's saying, here's a sneak peek. <laughs> believe this. Have faith that this is coming. But, but let me show you just a little bit, just so your faith will be, will be uh, uh, secure, so that it will be very easy, it will be easier to believe, right, in what's yet to come. Now, God hasn't always promised that he'll do that, right? That, that's not a guarantee that in order for me to have faith in something that I haven't seen, that, that God is, is promising or guaranteeing that 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 will happen, that that will actually take place, that, that he will offer a sneak peek. He's not promised that, but he offers it here. Why? Because he's being gracious. So, verse 2, as we, we look ahead in this passage, verse 2 says, and, and this is the unveiling, after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves, and he transfigured, was transfigured before them. Okay, so three of the disciples get pulled up there. They get to go up there with Jesus. 
They go up on a mountain. This is the inner circle here. And so they're, they're with Jesus up there on the mountain. Um, there's certain mountains that um, historically have been thought to be this mountain. Tabor is one of them. Uh, that's the historical view. There are others who think it's Mount Horeb. We don't know exactly for sure. Uh, but regardless, he, he actually goes up a mountain. He goes up there with his inner circle. They're up there with him. And uh, this happens after, after six days. So what happened? Jesus made the promise in verse 1 that some of you will not taste death until you've seen the kingdom of God come with power. Six days later, right, verse 2, after six days, he fulfills the promise. Right, so very clearly, he makes the promise in verse 1. Six days later, he fulfills it. The three of them go up on the mountain and... Uh, as, as you think about that, they, they are actually with, with Jesus in his presence. Now, we talked about it. If Jesus was here, he would look like a man. Well, up there, he stopped looking like an ordinary man, right? He looked very much different. And so uh, the, the, the verse there, verse 2, says he was transfigured before them. Uh, that, that word there uh, means that he, he was actually changed. His appearance changed. And uh, we'll have a description of that. Now, I want to just describe something for you, just in, in case um, you read one of your parallel passages or, or accounts. Uh, in the book of Matthew, it describes when this took place. It was six days after Jesus gave them the promise. In the book of Mark, it's six days after Jesus gave them the promise. In the book of Luke, oh, it's about eight days. <laughs> right. Is that a problem? A lot of people will point out that and say that that's a problem. Well, let's, let's consider a few things about that. Um, let's say that something happened uh, earlier in the week. And let's say that, that uh, if you said, uh, maybe you were at prayer meeting uh, last Wednesday, okay? And, and you said, well, how many days ago were you at prayer meeting? Well, you might say, count back. Well, prayer meeting was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Five days ago, I was at prayer meeting. Or somebody else might say, well, when were you at prayer meeting? Well, that was Wednesday. So after Wednesday, it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was four days ago. And, wait, we're talking about Wednesday. What, what is the difference in the count? Well, about eight days and six days, there are different ways that, that we commonly will count to the same day to day. And uh, even using the term about means, yeah, it was, it was about then, <laughs> right? I, I mean, the, the language itself lends itself to that. Is that a problem? No, it's okay to say something was, yeah, about a week ago. And it's okay to say something was six days ago. And it doesn't make either one of them wrong. Both can be true. And uh, it, we, we see that in the eyewitness accounts here. So what actually happened? Jesus is transfigured. What does that actually look like? Well, verse 3 describes it for us. His raiment became shiny, exceeding white as snow. as no fuller on earth can white them to say that Jesus became very, very white. His clothing were bright, was bright and shining. How bright was it? Well, Clorox could never get it this white. I mean, that, that is literally what it said. There's not enough Clorox bleach in the world to make a garment this white. Uh, no fuller in the world on earth can white them like that. And so, so here is Jesus shining out. His glory is being seen. What has changed here? Well, Jesus' glory was being veiled. It was veiled in flesh. Here he is allowing it to shine forth through. 
If the glory of God were on display, it would be so bright that we could never look upon it. It would just simply be that bright. And what, what Jesus is allowing here is allowing his glory to shine through. So they could see this truly is the Christ. This truly is the Messiah. There is no lack of power. There is no lack of ability. What, what, what he is doing is simply veiling himself and fulfilling his father's plan. And this inner circle gets to see it. It is clearly on display for them. Now, how in the world would Mark know how white his garments were? Mark wasn't there. He wasn't in the inner circle. Well, this goes all the way back to when we started the Gospel of Mark. Remember, another way of describing the Gospel of Mark is to call it the Gospel of Peter. Why? Because Mark was with Peter. He's a follower of Peter. And his account, his Gospel account, is coming from what Peter told him. Right? These events in Jesus' life are, are the things that Peter told him about and the things that Peter preached about. So that as Peter is telling Mark the account of what took place, Mark is recording it and writing it in his gospel here for us today. How do we know that it was white garments? Well, Peter was there, and he told him it was what it was. So why in the world would we learn about Jesus' garments and how white they were? Well, so that they would keep believing. Right? Jesus wanted his disciples to keep believing. Why would they need to keep believing? Because he's promised them a kingdom, and he said it's not coming right now. And they're probably a little bit disappointed. My son gets disappointed sometimes. Uh, we'll have dinner, and he knows that mom made dessert, right? And whatever it is, and he wants that dessert. Or maybe it's just simply ice cream. And he says, I really, really want that ice cream. Or I really, really want that cake. And what we usually tell him is, no, you have to eat your dinner first. And then you can have cake. And it's a little bit like these disciples. They were waiting for the Messiah to come in all his glory to establish his kingdom on the earth. And he said, you have to wait. It's not for right now. I have to suffer first. You will even suffer. But the day is coming when that will happen. And here's just a little taste so you know it's true. It's really there. And, and so he, he provides that for them. And, you know, it's not just Jesus there. I mean, that would be enough. The transfigured Christ should be enough. But standing with him, verse 4 we have two people, verse 4, appeared there unto them, Elias and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. That's Elijah and Moses there. Now that, that ought to be enough, but you ever wonder what were they talking about? Well, the context gives us some clues here. Very simply, they're, they're talking about this very thing, that the Messiah must suffer, that he must die. Uh, that makes it very clear to us. Um, and if, if that's not enough, Luke 9 Verse 30 and 31 records even more. It says that literally that he was telling them and talking to them about his departure. The literal word there is exodus, that he is leaving this earth. And so, so we know what they were talking about. Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah, and he's telling about the gospel, that he will suffer and bleed and die for the sins of the world. And that that's why he is on the earth. That is the purpose behind it. Imagine being a fly on the wall there, right? I mean, that's kind of what the disciples got to do. And, and you, you think about that, 
And, and you wonder, what in the world would I do if I am standing there and I am seeing the transfigured Christ, the Messiah, talking to Moses and Elijah about his death on the cross for the sins of the world? What in the world would I do? And Peter was probably wondering that same thing. And so Peter responded like he always does. He opened his mouth. That's what he did in response. And I don't think we should be too hard on Peter here. Uh, Have you ever been in one of those situations where you're just sitting there and and like something wonderful is going on and, and you're like, boy, I just want to participate. And you talk and you say something really dumb. I, I mean, I have done that plenty of times, right? You're, you're listening to something. Boy, I, I just want to get involved in this. I, I, and, and you say something. It's just really dumb. You know, I, I, I've been in the room with people who are way smarter than I am, right? And they're talking about something they have worked their entire lives on. And you're listening to it. You're like, well, hey, let me throw something out there, you know, like I can help them. I mean, I think sometimes we have all done something like that. You know, you just open your mouth and stick your foot in. And, and that's, that's, that's what Peter did here, right? And, and so it, it's not too far off from what he did before when, when he started rebuking Jesus, when he said the Messiah will suffer. Verse 5, Peter answered, said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. <laughs> What's he say? Hey, let's establish this kingdom right now. We'll build some houses for you guys. You could rule right here on the mountain. It's going to be great. (laughs) He hadn't learned the lesson yet. Why did he say it? Verse 6. He didn't know what to say. For they were so afraid. Or we could say he saw what was going on. He was scared. He didn't, know what, he didn't know what was happening. And so he just blurts out something. Right? He just opens his mouth. Now Peter's going to get rebuked again, but this time it's not from Jesus. This time the rebuke comes from the Father in heaven. I think that would get the point across. Verse 7, there's a cloud that overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Here's God the Father speaking from heaven. And he's saying, Peter, close your mouth. That's basically what he's saying there. Peter, close your mouth. And he's confirming before those disciples, this is my son, He's the one to listen to. His teaching is true. And so this confirmation is, look, close your mouth. He's going to go to the cross. He is going to suffer. He is going to die. Listen to him. What is it? This isn't up for debate. Right? This isn't, hey, I can convince God to do otherwise. No, this is the plan. This is the crux of the matter. This is the whole the, the, the whole thing, right? This is what it's all about. You don't get to change the gospel. You don't get to change my plan to redeem the world. From the foundation of the earth, this has been in place. My son will die on the cross for the sins of the world. Hopefully Peter gets it this time, right? Verse 8 goes on. Suddenly, when they looked round about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus, 
only with themselves. Transfiguration's over. Jesus is back. The glory of God is not shining out. It's veiled once again in flesh. Moses and Elijah are gone. Verse 9, they came down from the mountain. He charged them. They should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. What's going on? Once again, don't speak about this. Don't talk about this. Why? Because when everybody hears Messiah, they start getting excited. They start shouting, the king, earthly kingdom is here. God is here to rule. He's here to reign. Political freedom is here. Finally, everything will be better on the earth. Jesus is saying, look, this is just a taste. It's not for now. It's for later. Don't talk about it until I'm gone. We don't need these big crowds. We don't need people grabbing me and trying to throw a crown on my head. That's not what's going on. We need to fulfill the plan. Just keep this quiet for right now. You know, a cursory reading might cause us to wonder, why does Jesus not want people to know about this? It's pretty clear in context. There's work to be done. Verse 10 goes on. They kept saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising of the dead should mean. They asked him, saying, why say the scribes that Elijah must come first? Here's what they're wondering. Got to kind of track with this a little bit. They're, they're, they're actually asking the question, okay, what, what is this rising from the dead? They're, they're wondering about the resurrection. So that's the first issue. Second is this. Uh, why are the scribes saying that Elijah has to come first before the Messiah? When did Elijah come? Now, what, what's the answer to that? Jesus gives the answer, verse 12. He answered and told them, Elijah verily cometh first and restoreth all things. How is it that the Son of Man, that he must suffer many things and be set at naught? So let's track with that a little bit. All right, Malachi 4, 5 and 6 promises that Elijah will come. It is in connection with the coming of the Messiah, right? It is a messianic prophecy. Now, Jesus gives a description in saying, truly, Elijah has come. And what's the, what's the connection, who he's referring to? He's actually referring to John the Baptist. And so in the, in the same sense that Elijah had prophecy about the coming Messiah, there was an Elijah who came. He came in the form of John the Baptist. He made straight the paths. He made the way for the Messiah. Literally, that's, that's what his role was. And not only that, John suffered, right? John died. And if Elijah, if the John the Baptist, the Elijah form who came, could suffer in making straight the paths, certainly the Son of Man, the Messiah, he must suffer many things as well. So here, here, here's the language. Just because John the Baptist came and he suffered and died doesn't mean that the Messiah won't suffer. Don't think that. Just because the, the language in that passage is just talking about Elijah doesn't mean that it won't also be true for the Messiah as well. And so we, we have before us this, this account. Verse 13 goes on by saying to you, Elias is indeed come. He has come. They have done away, done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. They killed John. 
He came. He fulfilled his role. He fulfilled his purpose. They've done what was written of him. So you think about this. What is the whole point of all of this teaching? You know, it's pretty simple. Sometimes it's just really hard to keep believing. Sometimes it's really hard when, when you have your ideas of what things will be to, to just maintain belief and faith in the midst of sometimes disappointment. God, are you really on the throne? When I had a hard thing happen, right? Maybe you lost a job, whatever it is. God, are you really on the throne? Jesus, are you really there? Can't see him. Can't visually see you. Well, here's the account. Jesus here, to his disciples, is offering a very clear image. Here is my glory. Why? Because sometimes it's hard to believe. And his promise is this, I am coming back. I will set up my kingdom. I will reign. But not today. And not right now. It will be in my timing. It will be in the timing of the will of the Father. So what does all this mean for us today? Well, the day of the Lord is coming. Jesus will return. And, and there are people today, and, and you even hear this among Christians, when is it going to get here? Right? They, they were saying that before Jesus was born. When is the Messiah going to come? And then he comes and they say, well, that's not exactly what we wanted. Right? Well, this will be fulfilled. It will come about. And it will come about in the future. Jesus will return. The day of the Lord is coming. And just like Mark 8, 28 said before, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when, when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. It's coming. The day is coming. And Peter, James, and John got a sneak preview. And after the resurrection, they were told that they could give us a sneak preview as well. So do you believe? Do you have faith? Is your faith secure in our wonderful Savior? Because he will reign. There, there is coming a day when all of the sin of today will be wiped away. Where sin will be judged. Where things will be made right. And, and in the moment where we are even seeing the ravages and effects of sin on our world today, perhaps on a greater scale than ever before, certainly we're seeing the ravages of, of death and sickness on a grand scale in our nation that has been unusual in our history. And in the midst of it, we have the confidence of knowing that Jesus will come back that he will judge the world righteously and all things will be set back in order. Now I long for a king who leads righteously. And you don't have to look far, whether that's in our nation or nations around the world, 
to see that those are, there are those who do not lead righteously. In fact, there is no government in the world today that is perfect. But that day is coming. Do you believe? Do you have faith? Are you encouraged that things will be made right? So there are folks today who, who have gotten so discouraged, whether it's about our current political state or, or whatever it is, that, that have just been torn down. And it doesn't take long watching the news to get torn down about the current state of things. Right? And whether you pick the 24-7 channels or whether you pick the, the 11 o'clock, it doesn't matter which one you pick. You can be torn down just by the ravages of sin in our world today. But the sneak preview is this. The Messiah is coming. He is coming again. And this time, he will make things right on the earth. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the power of your word. We thank you, Father, that you have offered before us today a sneak peek of the things that are yet to come. Father, that you have put clearly on display that what you have promised will come to fruition. Lord, there is no lack of power on your part. There is no weakness or inability. Father, you are able to carry out the things which you have said. And so, Lord, we, we just simply praise your name. We give thanks to you. Lord, we ask that this morning you would strengthen our faith, that we would trust ever more and more and what you have said. And Lord, when, we are, when our faith is weaker, when doubts creep in, may we return to your word, knowing that it's true. Father, we just give you the praise for how you will work in our lives, in our hearts. Father, strengthen our faith this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.